I've been enjoying our I've been enjoying our time here in Colossians. It's been very timely the sermons that we've uh, preached and and the studying that I've personally have gone through. And me and Pastor David were talking earlier. I was like, man, it's really cool to see how the Sunday school lesson really ties in with our sermon today, uh, going over the first commandment. And it's 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 fascinating and uh, surprising to see how providentially these messages work together, how God orchestrates these things and gives us exactly what we need uh, when we need it. But if I am thinking biblically, thinking rationally and logically and properly about what God does and how he does it, I shouldn't be so surprised when his word ministers to us regardless of where we are in his word. Amen. His word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, so why wouldn't it be able to minister to us through anywhere we find ourselves in Scripture? Now, being amazed and appreciative is always appropriate when it comes to God's word and what he's able to do through it. <clears throat> but like we talked about this morning, as we hear in the songs, the reality is us as sheep are the ones who tend to stray. Right, God's word, God himself is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He, he doesn't change. His word doesn't change. We're the ones that tend to get off focus and focus on other things, focus on our circumstances. And it's him that brings us back through his word, through the proclamation of his gospel. Now, why do I say that? Where, where am I going with all of this? Well, I say that because today there are many among us who are angry, who are bitter, or frustrated, um, or they've just, you know, we've just had it up to here, right? And the reality is life is tough, right? Life can be really tough depending on what you're going through. And, and there's lots of people going through lots of different things right now. Maybe, maybe life has been good, but on the way to church or this morning, you blew up, right? You had some situation. Thankfully, we only had one kid in the house, so it was fairly chill this morning, pastor had to deal with our other three. Um, but there's always something going on. There's always things that we go through. But no matter what the case is, all of us are going through something. All of us. All of us have something going on in our lives. So that bears the question, what are you doing about it? When you think about the things you're going through, what are you actually doing about it? Are you sweeping it under the rug and just kind of hoping things will get better? Are you numbing it with something? Or are you just trying to fake it till you make it? Right? What are you doing with that, that weight that you're bearing in this time? Now, the the, once again, the reality of life is it's too short. It, it's here and gone in the blink of an eye. And it's, it's definitely, when we think of that, it's too short for us to be hanging on to bitterness or resentment, anger, or anything of the like. And why is that? Well, for us, those who are in Christ, those who have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb, God has reconciled us back to himself through Jesus Christ as that propitiation for us and our sins. We have far too much to be thankful for. And far too much to be grateful for to not address these things within our life. We need to be walking in a manner worthy of the calling that God has given us. In light of all that he has done for us. Right? As we walk through scripture and we see everything that God has done for us. Everything that he has given us. There is far too much for us 
that weighs out the, the situations that we're going through. And I think the problem is going back to if he is our focus, right, it puts everything into perspective. But when we stray and start focusing on different things or other situations or the circumstances we find ourselves in, we lose sight of that. For the scriptures teach us in his presence there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Right? That's, that's the focus. That needs to be the focus of each and every one of us. We will not find those things anywhere else. They, your spouse can't do it for you, your children, your job, your bank account. Nothing can bring about that pleasure that God can give you, that joy, that hope that he gives you. It is found in him and him alone. So with that in mind, we read our passage, and what we find in here, or what, the way God ministered to me through this is uh, we've got two main points. All right, we've got three and a half or four verses, and uh, we've got two main points. And so I want to just kind of focus on these things. What is reconciliation? Right, we, we, The title of it is Reconciled to Persevere. So we're going to look at those two words. What does it mean to be reconciled? What is reconciliation? And then what is perseverance? What does it mean to persevere? Uh, because our passage talks about each of these things, and if we don't have the proper perspective on them, on one in light of the other, things get out of whack, and then once again, we focus elsewhere. So with that in mind, let us go ahead and reread uh, our first section of verses, which will be our first point. I'm going to read from verse 19, since that's the beginning of the sentence, and then I will read through verse uh, 22. So when it comes to reconciliation, let's, let's read God's word again. It says this, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is our first point, right? We're going to talk about reconciliation. Um, I remember when I was putting this together, I was like, man, Pastor like gave me half a, a, ver a sentence to, to do this. I'm like, why, why? But then, right, it makes sense, right? As I read it, I'm like, okay, this is why. Um, but yeah, what does reconcile or what does reconciliation mean? What does this word mean when Paul wrote it? What does it mean for us today? Where does this word come from? I'm a, I like words, so I look up those types of things. Uh, but this word in the Greek, it's, it's a Greek word, don't worry about it, I don't even know how to pronounce it, but the word means bring back to a former state of harmony, what the, the original word means. And then our English word comes from a Latin word that means fairly similar, it means to bring back together, right? To bring back to a former state of harmony, to bring back together. That's what the, the English word that comes from a Latin word and then the actual Greek word that's from the New Testament, that's what these two words mean. So what is, what is that telling us? Well, it's telling us that there was a, a fracture. There was strife or, for us, arguments, rebellion, frustration, anger, bitterness, right? There, these things were just rampant in this time. But then someone initiated a selfless act to bring back a former state of harmony. Or when we think about a reconciliation, that's kind of how we can think about what this word means. Now, what did it mean for Christ to reconcile us, not only um, us, but all things? What does it mean when, when Christ reconciled all things to himself? Well, I think 
uh, part of that, uh, all things as well as us, and says that he made peace by the blood of his cross. All right, that's what our passage tells us. Through his death on the cross, he made peace for us, and he reconciled all things to himself. But he goes on to further expound on this idea uh, of reconciliation by letting us know what this reconciliation uh, topic is and why it was needed. He tells us, tells us this in our passage, but I want to pull in from Colossians chapter 2, where it kind of worded it uh, a little bit uh, deeper and, and it, it pinpoints us a little closer. Uh, it says this in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 2. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Right? This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So it wasn't like he just forgave our sins. It's not like he just pardoned them, just said, you know what, I know you did these things, but we're just going to... We're just going to write this off like you do for your taxes when it, with a business. Uh, that's not what he said, right? He said he set these things aside by nailing them to the cross. Well, I mean, why? what's the whole nailing to the cross? Well, that's Jesus Christ's death. It was him that was nailed to the cross for our sins, right? Our sins, our transgressions, what the passage today calls being alienated, hostile in mind, these evil deeds. These are... These are the things that he's referring to. These are the things that were set aside and nailed to the cross. Now, when you think about evil deeds, you may think, well, you know, I'm not an evil person. I don't do evil things, but substitute that word evil with selfish, right? And, and it's, a, it's a whole different animal when we think about selfishness, right? All of us are selfish, and selfishness is evil, right? If it's not God-focused, it's me-focused, that's, that's evil in the sight of God. So all of us fit these categories. Uh, we, are, we do evil things. It, it, that's just the reality of it. If God has called us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors as, as ourselves, uh, anything, any selfish acts falls into that category of evil deeds. But not only did he reconcile you with his own blood, uh, which could be described as canceling the sin debt, he also has given us his righteousness. That, that's, that's the, both, both of these things are mind-blowing, but it, the, him giving us his righteousness just, it never makes sense to me uh, why he would do that for me personally. But why did he do this? Well, it says in our passage, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now, as we think about that and this reconciliation that God has done, what we come to realize is God has taken every step along the way to purge us of sin, to reconcile us back to God, to present us holy and blameless before the Father, and showed us the greatest act of love by dying for our sins. All right, this is what God has done. This is the reality. This is what is true. But when we're in our circumstances and we're going through life, we're going through the emotions, we're going through the suffering, we're going through all these things, we forget about that. And we want to stay mad. We want to stay bitter. We want to stay angry about something that someone has done to you or about something that God has done to you or better yet, something that God hasn't prevented you from going through. That sound 
like anything anybody else has ever done in their life? Right? I'm not the only one. Just things that pastor has asked for us to pray about. These are things that are the reality right now. Spouses have died. Siblings have died. Loved ones have died. People are going through divorce, through sickness, through stress at work, through stress in their homes. These are all things going on right now. They're the reality right now, just within this congregation. I don't know, I'm not even talking about the world, just here today, people that I'm looking at, these are things that you're going through. There is a lot of grieving and mourning, which is right to do. We should grieve and mourn when tragedy strikes. That is a godly thing to do, to mourn and to grieve and to do so as long as you need to. As long as you need it, you need to do those things. It, it, it doesn't, just like your bones don't heal overnight, your, your heart doesn't heal overnight, okay? It takes time to go through those things. Unfortunately, at times when we're grieving, that grieving turns to bitterness or anger, frustration, right? This is, this is the reality of, of fallen human nature. And so that's where some people find themselves today. <clears throat> so I want to let that sit for a little bit. Let us marinate on it for a little bit because that is the reality. We can't get around that. But as that is what is going through some of the minds of us today, I want to read God's word to us again. Not, well, a different passage, but I want to read some of God's word that may help us realign or recalibrate our thinking about these situations. Because when we think about God and we try to get upset at what he has done or what he has put us through, we, we must, we must go back to God's word. We have to, to get us to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. I, I can't allow myself, I can't do this, I do it, but I can't allow myself to wallow and let those thoughts fester within my head. I must take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. I've got to take them in light of what God's word has said to think through them in a godly fashion. And I'm not saying this just to you, I'm saying this for me as well, right? You're not the only one going through things. And so I need to remind myself of this as well. Romans 3, 23 through 26. That is a passage I want to read. If you want to turn there, you can. Um, let's listen to God's word. It says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth, forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Just and justifier. Right? Not that he just wipes away our sins, but that he would do so in a just fashion. 
right? He, someone had to die for our sins, right? That's the only just way that sin could be forgiven. But what, the script, what that passage is telling us first and foremost, I kind of got ahead of myself, what that first tells us is that we are all on equal footing, all of us. All have fallen short, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us have any inherent right to do for, to, for anything other than death, right? That is what is owed to us. The wages of sin is death, and so death is what's in store for every last one of us. That's the curse of mankind. When mankind fell, death reigned over creation, right? So anything beyond death for any of us every day that we are alive is but a taste of God's grace and mercy towards us as sinners. That's, that's true of every last one of us, believer or unbeliever. Any, anything that we receive in this life beyond death is, is a grace and a mercy from God. But not only that, right, I already kind of mentioned this, but secondly, that first, we're on equal footing. Secondly, God is just, right? He is a righteous judge. He is a holy God, right? Everything that he does is perfect. He always does what is right. And if he made no mistake in sending his son to die for my sins, what makes me think that he'll make a mistake with anything else in my life? Right? If, if that was done and executed perfectly, what makes me think that he's going to slip up and let something happen to me that was outside of his control or outside of his plan or, or anything like that? Right? Me, I forget things, things slip through, but I'm, I'm a man. That, that's, that's all that I am. God is God. He is omniscient, omnipresent, all-knowing. He, is, he, is, he knows all things. All things are before him. But with God, there is, there is no mistakes. There is no error in his judgment. Think about the, the prayer when Jesus was in Gethsemane, right? Gethsemane, when he's praying to the Father. We mentioned this earlier. He was sweating like drops of blood. Jesus tells, the, in his prayer, he is praying, Lord, if there be any other way, take this cup from me. If there's any other way, take this cup from me. What does that tell us? There was no other way. There was no better way. That was the only way. That was it. In, in his perfection, in his knowledge, in, his, in, in who God is, in his providence, what Jesus did was the only way to bring about salvation for man. God doesn't shoot from the hip. He doesn't respond to us like we do, where there's knee-jerk reactions. That's not the God that we serve. He doesn't make rash decisions. And no matter what you hear in music today, God does not have reckless love. God's love is perfect. It's wise. It's all-knowing. Everything that he does has purpose, and it's for our good as his people. We need to be reminded when we think about what God has done in reconciling us that we love, we have the ability, the capability to love because God first loved us. We forgive or have the ability to forgive because we've been forgiven. We serve because God first served us. Right? He didn't come to be served, but to serve and be a ransom for many. 
we are able to reconcile with one another because God has reconciled himself to us. Or he's reconciled us to himself, excuse me. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21 says this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message, excuse me, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Reconciliation is so much more than just saying you're sorry. It's more than turning the other cheek. It's more than just taking the high road or staying quiet. It's about what Christ has done for your soul. And out of the abundance of your heart and the gratitude that you have for God and the things that he has given to you, you are compelled to reconcile with others. When you recognize what God has done for you, you can't help but want to do that. Now, I know it's a cliche at this point, and it's on bumper stickers. That's when you know it's a cliche. But if we know Jesus, we know peace. If there is no Jesus, or if we don't know Jesus, then we don't know peace. Right? That's the only reason we know peace is because we know Jesus. He is the one that has reconciled all things to himself. Now, with this understanding of, of reconciliation, let us move on to our next point about perseverance. I, I think we have to establish what reconciliation is for us to truly understand what perseverance is. Um, and, and I had a little trouble when I was reading this passage at first to try to make sense of it, but by God's grace, reading through, studying all this, helped it make sense for me but what is perseverance well let's read our verse and then we'll we'll talk about it in light of verse 23 it says if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I Paul became a minister right there's that that contingency word at the beginning of if and that tends to give people some trouble Okay, we're going to get into that, but let me mention what perseverance is. What is perseverance? What is this word? Well, it, it means to patiently endure or to be sustained. Steadiness in the midst of trial, right? As the boat is rocking to and fro, there's, some, there's a, a peace, a steadiness in the midst of that. Now, this phrase, um, perseverance of the saints, was coined back in the 1600s that, uh, by the reformers when they were referring to the Christian Right, there was this perseverance of the saints. And, and I, when I think about it, like when I think about entertainment, like movies and comics and different things that, that you put in front of your face, uh, perseverance is probably one of the greatest qualities that we see in, in characters, in books, movies, whatever. Right? When, we, when we think about characters, uh, perseverance tends to be one of the, whether you recognize it or not, it tends to be one of the top uh, qualities. 
And what it is, it's this, it's like that person who in the face of adversity stood firm or they got knocked down and they got back up and, or they just, they never budged from what they, what they believed in. And then by the end of the movie, by the end of the comic, by the end of the book, right, it, it all paid off in the end, right? They, they were persevering through this whole story and then at the end, you know, everyone lived happily ever after, right? That, that tends to be the way these, these shows, movies, all these things work out. Now, when I think about perseverance, is that the kind of perseverance I'm talking about? Well, it depends, right? It depends. Um, when I think about perseverance, I think about people as well, just like these characters. But I think about people here at our church. I think about people like Brother Henry when he was with us, Brother Bert, Sister Brenda, countless others who have um, through their life, have lived the life, have suffered, did whatever, what was going on, but in those last moments, faithfully and painfully at times, they used their lives to make much of Christ. That's, that's perseverance. That's the thing that hits me the most when I think about God and perseverance and, and these situations, and, and I think about how merciful God is to his people in those times. The thing that we all know is true, all of these people and, and loved ones that you have in your life, they're human, they're flawed, right? Sometimes they upset you or got on your nerves or whatever, right? They, they, were, they were human. They had good and bad things that they did and quirks and all that stuff. But God remained faithful to them until he called them home. thing that that I guess reminds me of it's like in the midst of their suffering as they were going through the end stages of life God's grace shined brightly in those moments there was a a peace in the midst of the sorrow that surpassed understanding it, it, it didn't make sense for there to be peace and joy as this person was taking their last breath here on earth but then we go back to God's word. And when God has reconciled us, he tells us he never leaves us, never forsakes us. He remains faithful to the end. So that's what's true about perseverance and God showing himself out through his people. So when we, when we read this verse, and our passage says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, what does that mean to you, right? Well, what does that make you think of? Does it, does it strike fear in you that you may not have that death, that beautiful deathbed experience that so many others have had? Does it make, man, like, I hope that I'm that same type of person that is, am able to bless people when I'm at that point? Is that where your mind goes? If so, it shouldn't. It shouldn't go there. Does this verse say, if indeed you show how wonderful of a person you are, being peaceful and loving in your last days? Is that what the verse says there? 
It says, if indeed you continue in the what? The faith. Right? You continue in the faith. Listen to what Romans 1, 16 and 17 says. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Is the gospel good news if your salvation swings in the balance based on your performance? Right? Is, is that good news if that's how fickle your salvation is, where if you're performing well, you're, you're doing good, but then if you sin or you do poorly for a day, you're, you're, you're on the bad side and you're going to hell and, and you better hope that when you're, you know, you're having your best day whenever you die, right? Is, is, that, is that how our faith works? Is that good news to have that type of salvation? Uh, questions obviously no, right? or the answer is no. So what we must focus on is, do we trust that God is good? Do we trust that God will remain faithful? Do we believe that God cannot lie? I think the thing that we need to focus on is this warning that Paul is giving is not about shock value or some sort of shape up or ship out type of thought. What did he say right before this? He says, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So if he has done this, he will remain faithful to the end. But do we believe that? Right? Do I, do I, is, is that, is my faith in what he has said and, and who he is? Has he truly done this for you? As I close, if, if God has reconciled us by his blood, by the blood of his son, and is now sanctifying us in order to present us holy and blameless before him, if that is who I am, whom shall I fear? Right? What shall I fear? Not only that, what purpose do I have to hang on to bitterness or envy or deceit or lust or passions of the flesh Gossip, slander, hatred, and strife. What purpose do those things have in my life if God has done all these things for me? As I said earlier, life's too short to be hanging on to these things or to hang these things over someone else's head. Right, like your spouse, your kids, your siblings, your parents, or other church members. Right, If, if bitterness is causing you to hang these things over other people and you're your joy is tied in, in not forgiving those things. We've got, we got bigger problems. Now, with all this in mind, you may be thinking to yourself, um, yeah, that's easy for you to say, right? You're standing up there, and it's easy for you to say, right? You got a wife who loves you, kids who, who listen to you. Uh, you know, you've got all these things going well for you, right? You don't know what I'm going through, right? That's what you could be saying. You've got it easy, right? That grass is really green on your side of the fence, but on this side, it is an arid desert. 
right? You don't know what I'm going through. And you're right, I, I don't. Yeah, I, I do not know what you're going through, but you don't know what I'm going through either, right? We don't know, we don't know the depths of the issues that each of us are going through, but those are just circumstances, right? Each of us have been given our own lot in life, and we each have these things that we're going through, but what transcends all of that is God's grace and his word, his providence, his sovereignty, his care for his people, his love for us, it, it transcends all of these circumstances that we're going through. For these light and momentary afflictions are building up for us an eternal weight of glory that's beyond all comparison. That's true. Right? You could be suffering while you're here on this earth, but in light of eternity, that is light and momentary but it is building up for you an eternal weight of glory that's beyond all comparison. And the things that we see in a mirror dimly now are the things that he will reveal to us its purpose when we see him face to face. Right? There will be a time in your life, if you are in Christ, when you are reunited with him and it's like, okay, it makes sense now. Like, I, I get it. I didn't like it, but I get it. And this brought about glory, the maximum amount of glory that you, that you could get. That's what this did. But the whole time it was building me up in the way that I needed. Right? Going through these tragedies help us to empathize with others when they go through tragedies. Right? We're able to minister. It's like, hey, I've been there. I get it. Like, I, I've lost this too, or I've been through that as well. Let me, let me help you. Right? There's, there's light in the midst of that, that struggle. That's, that's what is needed. God has given you his son, Jesus Christ, as a propitiation for your sins. We have far too much to be thankful for, to be sitting around ungrateful and frustrated with this life that God has ordained for us to walk in. Man plans his steps, the Lord directs his path. Now, my final thing to say is when you get upset or discontent with, the, with your life, the life that God has, has given you, what you are saying is God isn't doing good enough and that you deserve better. That's discontentment. Like, I know better, God. I don't need this in my life right now. I, I've, got, I've got a better plan. That's what we're saying. Now, if that's you today, in whatever aspect of your life that you find that in, I plead with you by the mercies of God to repent, turn from those things. God is too precious. He is too beautiful to not focus on and to help you make sense of your life. It, it is him and him alone who can do that for you. Look to Christ. Cling to Christ. Rest in Christ. Let us pray.